0: This morning, we're continuing our series on the Gospel of Luke called The Upside Down Kingdom. Because whenever Jesus comes into this world, he flipped everything upside down. And us who live under this king, we too are partnering with Jesus in bringing heaven down to earth. And today, we're covering one of the most important topics that we can. Why do we think Christmas is so important? Christmas continues by just about every metric to be the biggest holiday in the United States. And it's not even close. Like the next one is way below it. What other holiday has an entire special genre of music that once December hits, every convenience store everywhere is playing it all the time? What other holiday makes people start celebrating it before another major holiday even happens? Some people are a little wild. What makes this holiday make people consistently go crazy about buying gifts for other people or putting lights everywhere or blowing up massive inflatables on their front lawn? Why is this the holiday that almost everybody takes vacation days off for? Why is this the holiday that families come together for? What is so special about Christmas? I'm sure if I asked that to a kid, It would be presents, getting things. I'm sure for a lot of adults in here, it might be being with family, seeing family. But really what makes Christmas magical, what makes it special, is that it celebrates one of the most important moments in history, that of Jesus' birth. But the sweet little baby Jesus, does he really warrant the biggest holiday celebration like this? In my opinion, I would answer that question, absolutely. The birth of Jesus changes everything. Have you ever experienced a moment in your life that from that moment on, nothing was ever the same again? Maybe that could be whenever your child is born and you're holding your baby for the first time. Maybe on the flip side, maybe you lost a loved one and maybe this holiday season is especially hard for you. Maybe it's the moment that you meet someone that you love so much that ends up going on to be your spouse. Maybe it's that big move that you have, moving to a different area and having to uproot your life to make new friends. But from that moment on in your life, whatever it was, that nothing was ever the same. That's the case for the whole world, (laughs) the moment that Jesus enters into it. From that point on, everything is different. So this morning, we're going to be doing a deep dive into Luke 2, primarily verses 4 through 20. So if you want to open your Bibles there, that's where we're going to be spending our time. We're going to be seeing what Luke thinks is so significant about God becoming human. So bring your thinking caps today, because we're really going to be diving deep into this. And there's several really important points that are made in these first couple verses. So in Luke 2, verse 4, it begins by saying, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, To Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So I'm going to stop here for a second. There's a couple points in here that are really important, that it's really easy to miss if you're just reading the text quickly. So the first thing is that Jesus came from Nazareth. That is super significant, because Nazareth has this stigma in Scripture. It has this impression on people that it's insignificant or maybe even some people would consider it the quote unquote bad part of town. Nathaniel, his disciple said this, "'Can anything good come from Nazareth?' But this is what's significant about Jesus coming from Nazareth, that Jesus came from an insignificant town, that the God of the universe came to come into this world through an insignificant place. This is really interesting. He didn't come into the world in a place of power and prominence of somebody of noble birth that demanded people respect him. He came in to what others would say, oh, that's the bad part of town. So no matter what your upbringing is, no matter where you come from, God can do extremely special things in your life and through you. The next thing is that Jesus fulfills messianic prophecy. Jesus' family went to Bethlehem, which is where Jesus was ultimately born, and that's also where King David was born. And so Jesus, in being born in Bethlehem, is actually fulfilling a prophecy from Micah saying that the Messiah would come and be born in Bethlehem. And all throughout Luke, we see David and Jesus being compared. Jesus is the new David. So Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy that came before. Uh, So if we keep reading in verse six, it says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So verse seven, there is a lot of significance in it. And again, this is, you can just fly through this and miss it, but the first thing is the simple fact that Jesus was born, that God became human. That the God that speaks galaxies into existence, the God that dwells in unapproachable light, the God that shakes mountains and splits seas, chose to come into this world as a weak, defenseless, vulnerable baby. What does that tell us about God's relationship with power? We see in Jesus' ministry constantly Him taking the place of a servant, Him being humble and lifting up other people as he goes, and dying for us. We see him equipping his disciples and giving them the ability to go do the same things that he is doing, which is a continuation of what God's been doing from the beginning. In the beginning, in Eden, God is equipping and partnering with humanity to take care of the earth. This has been a part of God's heart all along. But in Jesus' birth, it's so significant because in Jesus' very nature, we see the perfect culmination of what God has been seeking from the beginning, the marriage of heaven and earth, where God and humanity would dwell in perfect loving union forever. This has been his heart forever. Throughout scripture, there's this consistent trajectory of heaven pursuing earth, of God invading our space because he wants to be with us. From the garden to the tabernacle, to the temple, and now in Jesus, you have God pursuing humanity and wanting to live among us. And it's the perfect culmination because Jesus, in his very nature, is fully God and fully man at the same time. This is an ancient Christian tradition. This is the orthodox understanding of Jesus. So we talked a few months ago about the Trinity, how the Trinity is three persons in one nature. A little bit similar, but a little different. Jesus is one person with two natures, and that he is fully God and fully man at the same time. And he doesn't take a break being one or the other. He is entirely both at all times. And scripture backs this up. Colossians 2 verse 9. It says, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So right there you see God is fully divine. And then Hebrews two seventeen, For this reason he had to be made like them fully human in every way. In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. So here we see that Jesus is fully man, fully divine, and both are necessary. If either one of those two takes a back seat, it's a problem. Jesus is fully divine in that he is the perfect representation of God. That means whenever we examine Jesus, we are understanding and examining the Father and Spirit as well. He is the perfect revelation of God. If there's something that is not true of Jesus' character, we can't say that that would be true of the Father of Spirit because their character is consistent, Father, Son, and Spirit. And then similarly, if Jesus, he had to be fully human, if he wasn't, he wouldn't perfectly be able to be our high priest. He wouldn't be able to atone for our sins. And this means that Jesus experienced everything that we have as humans. This means that he was hungry. He was thirsty. He experienced legitimate temptation to sin, meaning he thought about it. He suffered heartbreak. He was betrayed by people that he loved deeply. He was misunderstood and rejected by the world. On the flip side, he celebrated life's great joys. He also had to deal with all the mundane things of life, like working long hours, like growing up and hitting puberty and getting all the acne, and getting sick, and getting muscle soreness from working all the time. Like, he fully experienced every part of humanity. He gets us completely. People have said that empathy is putting yourself in another person's shoes. Well, Jesus raised the bar a little bit, and that he put himself in our flesh. It's a little creepy sounding, but he fully became like us. And as John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word dwelling literally means tabernacled. That he pitched his tent among us. That he chose to live and be with us and meet us where we are and show us what true human flourishing looks like. And he shows us how to bring heaven to earth in our own lives. This is why Jesus is called Emmanuel from the prophecy of Isaiah because he is truly God with us. The fullness of God with us. And what God has been desiring from the very beginning. So the second point from verse 7 is that Jesus was wrapped in a lamb's swaddling cloth. And you might be like, oh, wow, that sounds so significant. Don't all babies get wrapped up in something? Yes, but here's what's significant about this. There's a tradition that the shepherds in this story that lived in the Jerusalem hillside nearby, that they provided the lambs without blemish for the sacrifice at Passover so the first newborn lamb, to protect it from blemish, the tradition is that they would wrap up this lamb in a swaddling cloth and put it in the food trough to be kept aside, set aside for a future sacrifice. It's very interesting if you consider the lamb of God, right? Jesus is wrapped in a lamb's cloth, put into a feeding place or a manger, and set aside ultimately to be a sacrifice for all of our sins. Another interesting point is that he was laid in a food trough. That in itself is interesting. Also, in the city of bread, that's what Bethlehem means. It literally means the the city of bread. Um, So, or no, it's the house of bread, sorry. I misinformed you. It's the house of bread, not the city of bread. But regardless, bread is in there. There's a lot of bread. Jesus being put in the food trough is significant because he is the bread of life. He is the food that our souls didn't know that we were hungry for. And finally, from this verse, we see that Jesus and his family, they were passed over, and they weren't given any room at the hotel. God could have come in this world any way he wanted to, but he chose to enter into history as a reject, as somebody that was passed over. How much more does that show us that God's heart is for the poor and the lowly? All right, so the next part, Jesus is now on the scene. Let's see how he changes things, right? right. So in verse 8, it says, And the shepherds were living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over all of their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So the shepherds, they see an angel, and the glory of the Lord is clearly seen. And that's what happens when Jesus enters the scene. God's glory is clearly evident and displayed in our lives. If you've ever dug deep in your own relationship with Jesus, you have seen the power of God clearly displayed. And you know you have witnessed something glorious. In Hebrews 1, the first part of it, it says something really beautiful. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Whenever we see Jesus, we see God's glory fully. And some of you maybe have had a hard time seeing God's glory in your life, maybe you have some doubts about Jesus and about God actually moving whenever you want him to in certain ways, my challenge for you is to keep drilling into Jesus. Keep going deeper because the more that you spend time with Jesus and the more that you see Jesus in other people's lives, God's glory cannot help but be displayed. And there's going to come situations too that we might just not have eyes to see it. His his glory might be displayed right now in our lives but we just are not aware. So keep looking. If we keep reading in verse 10, it says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this brings up another point. Whenever Jesus enters the scene, he brings good news and joy for all people. Not just a select few people, but all people. Something that I think a lot of Christians have struggled with is knowing how the gospel is actually good news. Oftentimes we portray it, oftentimes we talk about the gospel in ways that sound you know, not the most appealing. If you lead by talking about the gospel and saying, hey, you're a sinner and you're going to hell, and if you don't renounce your family, if you don't give up everything you have, then you're toast. If we start with that, I can't imagine why people don't just wanna jump all over the good news. Right, But the people need to know why this good news is actually good news. Why this is the best possible news. The good news is that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, sin, death, and evil have lost. Through Jesus, the grave has no victory, and it has completely lost its sting. Through Jesus, we no longer have to have this powerlessness against our sin... Addictions are broken and captives are freed in the name of Jesus. Through Jesus, we have the hope that heaven is going to look like all the good of this world, minus all the evil and all the things that frustrate us and break our hearts. Through Jesus, we don't have to see the world through bitter and cynical lenses anymore, like the rest of the world might. We can see the world through the lens of joy, knowing that the battle is won. And some of the best news out of all of this is this freedom and joy is given to any one of us not because of anything that we've done to earn it because it is a free gift from God that we don't deserve. And for any of you who want to be a part of this kingdom God will accept you no matter what you have done in your life. And while the world might cast you aside and might speak ill of you and might reject you If you turn to Jesus, you will be accepted with open arms and you can begin to heal and you can help the world heal. This is why he is called Savior, Messiah, and Lord. He delivers us from our sin and is also our ruler. He is the king over our lives. He's the one that we are to submit to. And I know in our world and our culture, submitting to an authority is like one of the last things we ever want to do. But whenever we know this king, when we know this ruler, submission is actually the freest thing possible because he is so good and if we follow his ways, the world is truly better. Because of submission to this king, look at the impact that Jesus has had on this world. Because of Jesus, humans actually care about civil rights. He gave tremendous value to all people caring for those in his community that people might cast aside, such as women, people of different ethnicities, the sick, the slaves, widows. He gave dignity to these people and empowered them to even be his disciples. And because of his influence, Christians were some of the people that revolutionized this world, opening the first hospitals, opening orphanages to care for these people who have been cast to the side. And though people in the name of Jesus have done some terrible things and used his name in vain, such as in ways that they've promoted slavery, it is because of the inherent dignity that's placed on all people that slavery, which is a cultural currency that has been valued by societies throughout time, has been fought against by Christian abolitionist leaders throughout this world. Christians have also laid the foundation for modern science. Some of the early scientists that went on to influence the world were Christian. Also, the biggest universities in the world started because of Jesus, because people wanting to dive deeper and knowing who God is. Jesus' impact on this world was so huge that we started counting time in the opposite direction. We count how many days or years it's been since Jesus has been here. And even opponents of Christianity cannot deny at least some of the positive impact that Jesus of Nazareth has had on the rest of this world. Albert Einstein, who is a self-proclaimed agnostic, he said this, No one can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such life. No man can deny the fact that Jesus existed, nor that his sayings are beautiful. Jesus' impact in goodness, in my opinion, is undeniable. How he has changed this world cannot be overstated. He is truly good news for all. And then if we keep reading, this is, I was reading this this week, guys. It blew my mind thinking about this for a little bit, so I have to share this. So uh, in verses 12 through 14, it says, This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Which brings up the next point. When Jesus enters the scene, all of heaven rejoices. I haven't thought about this, but could you imagine having a backstage pass to one of the most amazing moments in history? Because heaven knows Jesus. All of these angels, they know Jesus. And they love Jesus. And I just imagine them with this giddy anticipation that they know that the Savior of the world is coming into this world. And it's like, it's just from this moment on, the world can finally start healing. I can just imagine them with tears in their eyes, like, I just can't wait for you to get to know him. Because he has changed everything. And will change everything. It's such a powerful, beautiful moment. And if we keep reading in verse 15, it says, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Well, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go check it out. Let's see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. Because whenever Jesus enters the scene, we are struck with a peaceful, insatiable curiosity for more. And I'm going to break it down what I mean by that. It's peaceful and that we know once we see Jesus, once we taste Jesus, there's nowhere else for us to go. There's nowhere else for us to look. But it's insatiable in that God's goodness is so rich and so deep that we can't get enough of it, that we want to keep coming back. So it's, it's one part insatiable, but it's satisfying at the same time because Jesus is the only thing that satisfies and never grows stale. And then in verse 16, it says, So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. Which brings up another point. Whenever we experience Jesus, we can't help but share the good news. I remember there was one time growing up, there was a gas station that was selling gas. This was during the recession. There was a gas station that was selling gas for one nineteen because they were going out of business. And everybody lost their mind. They were calling all their friends, telling everybody they knew about it. Hey, you gotta to come to this place. They have the cheapest gas I've seen in a long time. We do that sort of thing whenever there's something that we really value. Whenever there's something that we see that's good that we wanna share with people we love. But oftentimes we don't do that with our faith. And sometimes I doubt we really believe that this good news is good news enough that's worth sharing. That it's enough that it can actually help change and transform your friends' lives, your family's lives. But this good news is good news. And we need to be people who naturally share it with other people, not in a forceful way, not in a demanding way. But if Jesus means the world to us, we can't help but talk about him. And what's interesting is the incarnation itself, it gives us a model in how we share the good news. As Jesus became human to meet us where we are and make sense to us in ways that we understand, we are to be incarnational and meet our culture where they are. We're to be in the world but not of the world. And Paul demonstrates this clearly in his own model. He says that he wants to be all things to all people. In other words, he wants to build bridges with people to help them understand the gospel in ways that make sense to them. He wants to remove as many hindrances as possible between a person and Jesus. And he does this so masterfully in Acts 17. If you ever get a chance to really dive into that, it's awesome and I suggest you do it. But what, Acts, what he's doing in Acts 17 is giving a sermon to the Areopagus, the people in Athens, who were these rich and noble, powerful Greek leaders. And in this moment, he is using terminology and structures that they understand. So he points out this altar that they have sacrifices to an unknown God for. And he says, that God that you don't know He's actually closer than you can possibly imagine. And then he goes on to quote their own poets and artists of that time. Because he's doing it to help meet them where they are, to help explain the gospel in ways that make sense to them. And this shows us that I think we need to have a level of cultural awareness about us. We need to help connect the gospel in ways that make sense to other people. Because the gospel itself, it doesn't change. That happened... And that's, that's done. Jesus said, it is finished. But how we present that gospel looks different in every culture that we should go to. Because our God is a universal God that meets cultures and people where they are. And we, as Christians, need to adopt that practice as well. We need to know our culture and know our neighbors around us so that we can build a bridge to connect them to God. And then in verse 18 and 19, it says, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. I think that's a really interesting sentence there. Because whenever Jesus comes into our life, when Jesus enters the scene, we are amazed oftentimes of what he can do. We can read scripture, we can see in other people's lives these amazing things, S- seeing people put down the bottle for the last time in the name of Jesus, seeing marriages restored in the name of Jesus, we can marvel at his power. Simultaneously, we can have questions. We can ponder some things. If the mother of God didn't fully understand everything about Jesus, I think to some extent, it's okay for us not to have everything figured out as well. I'm going to have tons of questions all the time. And I can't wait to ask God about all of those questions. But it is okay to have questions. And then the last thing, this is how we're going to end. In verse 20, it says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And this is a really important point. Whenever we encounter Jesus, we leave glorifying and worshiping God. Jesus is the hope for the hopeless. Jesus is the water for the dry land. Jesus is the sustenance for the hungry. And once we see that there is no one like Jesus, that nobody can fill that hole inside of our hearts like Jesus, we know there is nowhere else to look. There is no one who is simultaneously the king and ruler that we submit to and also our best friend who washes our feet and whenever we come to see Jesus and all his beauty we can't help but worship him in my life i have looked to a lot of other things to fill me up to fill that sort of existential crisis that bubbles up every now and then i've looked to approval from other people And if I didn't have enough people who would come up to me after a sermon and say good job or something like that, I would feel crushed. I realized it never was satisfying. I looked to success. I wanted all the things that I did to be admired by people, thinking that was going to make me feel better about myself. Never did. I looked to all the momentary pleasures in life that you might pursue and seek, the things that you think would be really fun in the moment. Like, oh, once I get this, everything will be good left me empty, and then I found Jesus, and everything was different, and now that I know Jesus, now that I have experienced his transformative love, I know there is nowhere else for me to look, there's always more I'm learning, don't hear me say that I have everything figured out now, that I I now have all the answers to life, I'm not even close to that, Like, talk to Albert (laughs) if you have tons of questions about life. He has a lot of wisdom and life experience. But at the same time, I don't think I'm ever going to find anything as good as Jesus in this life. I truly believe, church, that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the cure to the sickness that's in this world. And we can try a lot of different things to treat the symptoms, but really people need to know Jesus. That's what changes cultures. That's what changes the world. And to quote Mary Magdalene from the Chosen TV series, which if you haven't seen that, I highly recommend. She said, I was one way, and now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. And I think a lot of us in this room can say that same thing. If we think about who we were before Jesus stepped into our lives, it's a very different person, right? Right? And now that we know Jesus, now that we live in relationship with Jesus, we are completely different because we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and there is no one like Jesus. Now, if any of y'all have something going on in your lives, if something is happening that's really troublesome, if you wanna know Jesus more, if you wanna commit your life to Jesus today, or if you need prayers about anything that is going on in your life today, I want to invite all of the shepherds and our prayer team to go ahead and, and fill the outside of this room. If you have anything that you would love prayers for, anything that you're struggling with, please come pray with these people. Don't suffer alone. It's not worth it. And we really believe in the power of prayer here, so there's some really powerful transformation that can happen when people pray over you. So let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful and thankful to have you in our lives. We are so thankful that you are a God who stoops down low to meet us where we are. And I don't know what we would do without you, Jesus. (laughs) I don't know who we would be without you. And we are so grateful that you chose to come into this life and show us how we should live and give your life up for us and conquer death in your resurrection. And I pray that you help us to be mindful of all the ways that we need to grow. Help us see our weakness so that we can continue to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit and be refined more and more into your image and likeness. We thank. We are so thankful that you've come into this world, that you've chose to become man and show us the way to live. And we pray this and... Your holy name. Amen.